sure we've had this discussion before. <laughs> Probably, yeah. But we drink a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember if you answered it or you didn't know how to answer it. We drink and we forget things. Yeah. Fuck off, Tyrion. <laughs> no things. I don't know shit. Nothing. Can't remember what happened over the weekend. Nope. For fuck's sake. Too much whiskey. <laughs> anyway. If you were to take a band to represent who you are as a person, oh, no. who would it be? God, I have no idea. Like none? Um, Catatonia. <laughs> wow, that's... Which is super depressing. Yeah, no, I see... Mm, but really no. pretty. It, yes, but you're not depressing. No, but you're like... Sassy. No, you're so not like sassy. Catatonia, if Missy Elliott were the oh, lead singer, yep, that's it. Okay, I mean that's not a real band, but it should be. <laughs> I would like to see that mashup. That would be fantastic. <laughs> that would be an amazing mashup. Now I realized a few years ago, one day as I was driving and I was listening to my music, and this one band comes on, and I'm like, "That's me." That's me as a person. In a nutshell. Yeah. Like the personification of me as a person in a band is the B-52s. Yeah. I am 100% the B-52s. I'm weird as fuck, but like kind of dark, (laughs) but also like pretty happy and fun. Yeah. Like usually a good time. Also infectious. I am an infection. (laughs) Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> oh, maybe I can be the cure. The cure is kind of goth and sassy. Ooh, no, the cure. Yeah, you're the cure. I'm the cure. Because they have some real fun You're jams. infectious. I'm the cure. Get the fuck out. No more Rock Candy. We're done. <laughs> Podcast is over. This is why we work well together. <laughs> oh, your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music. And we're your hosts, I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week we have a... Nice, fun, happy tale. To counterbalance last week. <laughs> oh boy, do we ever though? It's See, that's be how a we different. This is why we work well together because I bring everyone down, and then you lift them back up with like, with really fun stuff. Yeah, this is a ninety percent happy story. I make everyone mad and sad, and you make them happy. Yeah, I'm over here to be like, guys, look, fun. <laughs> Confetti. Look, at, look at over here, flashing lights. Look over here. Look over here. <laughs> look over here. My God. When I have to babysit, it's like, I don't know, here's some keys and, 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 a, and a strobe light. I don't know what a kid's like. <laughs> this is why I highly, highly avoid babysitting. Yeah. And never did it when I was a kid either. But, like, can you just imagine if we have to babysit a kid someday? Oh God, your it's child fucking hilarious. is going to be traumatized. <laughs> or they're going to fucking love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could love it. They could hate it. Either way, they're coming out traumatized. And yeah. you're never going to want us to babysit ever again. Where are you going to want us to babysit again? I will gladly dog sit. Mm. Cat sit. Guinea pig sit. Oh, well, you're just you're just like waiting for the day for somebody to ask you to guinea pig sit. I would love it. You're just like, I will find a dog sitter for my dogs. Let me babysit your guinea pig. I love guinea pigs <laughs> so much. I wonder if Robert Smith does. <laughs> I bet. I could see Robert Smith owning a couple guinea pigs. you like... I like these guinea pigs. They're my friends. <laughs> this one's this one's love song. About this guinea pigs. Love song about guinea pigs. Yes. So tonight, though, we're not talking about us being hot messes or Robert <laughs> right. Smith from The Cure or guinea pigs. We were just talking about 
the B-52s, the slamming, jamming, rock your mom and band. Maggie personifying band. I mean, yeah, I would, again, like to think that I am the human personification of the B-52s. Yeah. I would agree with that. Vote now if you agree. <laughs> Nobody's phones exploded. Text 555-155 to get this ringtone. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, wasn't that a thing? Yeah, it was you the fucking frogs. Oh, my God. Nope. Nope. Or whatever it was doing. I, I know what you're trying to do. Yep. And I'm, I'm putting, putting the kibosh on that shit real fast. We should bring that back. That ringtone. It's better than Baby Shark. Yeah, honestly, it is. Yeah. Anyway, so instead of bringing back shitty ringtones, let's talk about our drinks for this evening. Uh, Tonight, I am boasting a little delicious goza with cherries and raspberries called Poppy's Moonship from, wait, what brewery is this? Oh, Schilling Beer. (laughs) Schilling Beer? Sounds like it. Schilling Beer Co., Yes. Oh, from Littleton, New Hampshire. Look at you guys. Oh. Littleton, that little town. But yes, uh, it works because Moonship, Space, the B-52s, Cosmic Galaxy, Space shit all the time in their songs. I made it work, even though we said we were going to stop doing that. But for some reason, when I go to the beer store, I'm like, but how can I find a beer that I can yeah. make work? What's wrong with me? But also, even if this didn't work, I was still going to buy it because I felt, I read goes with cherries and raspberries and i'm like sounds great that's me tonight that's my feel that's my vibe and you know the b-52s would tell you to do what feels good a fruity goza i mean it's fruity b-52s are fruity oh yeah so that makes fruity tootie (laughs) (laughs) yes very much so i would highly suggest if you see this at a you know beer store around you pick it up it's really nice yeah it's not bad it's better than their the Poppy's Moonshine that we had a while ago. I do, don't remember that. It was <laughs> fine, but it wasn't what I expected. I was going to say, be. I vaguely remember you bringing in a Goza that we thought was going to be really good. And we we're like, huh. So I'm wondering if that's what it was. Maybe. Maybe. Gozas usually don't disappoint me, so I must have yeah. that one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm drinking Flying Embers. Mm. Hard kombucha. And it's hard. Hard boozcha. And it's boozcha. Boozcha. Sure. Yeah. It's kombucha that's boozy. It's boost choop boost choop boost chupa. The chupacabra. <laughs> I'm drinking a chupacabra. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, this one's black cherry. I've had better ones from them. Black cherry is just kind of medicinal. I think no matter what you do, no matter what you put it in, black, black cherry, cherry is, gonna, is medicinal. Yeah. It's not gonna taste it's, right. It's a little robotussiny. Yeah. But sometimes I like the robotussiny. It makes me feel feel like I can lie to myself yeah. and say, hey, you're drinking medicine. But this was the only hard kombucha that was more than 4%, which I think is just wimpy. Wimpy, wimpy, like, wimpy. <laughs> it's not a hefty kombucha. <laughs> so this one's 7.2%, which is okay. That's quite We're hefty. Good. That's quite hefty. This, this is a garbage bag of heft. So yeah, it's a yeah. garbage bag of kombucha. Yeah, I had their, I got their ginger one last week, and it was good, but it was oh, yeah. a little spicy for this white lady. <laughs> ginger spicy. Ginger spicy. Ginger is spicy though, but I like it. <laughs> that one was like I'm, yeah. I love ginger in alcohol, but that one it was kind of spicy. 
Anyway, so let's uh, talk about the B-52s instead of our terrible dietary habits. <laughs> All right. Yeah, here let's we go. Let's do it. So the late 70s was a time for big changes in the sound of music all around us. The hills were, in fact, alive. With the sound of music. And drugs. Yes. A lot of drugs. That's what kept people alive. Pretty, also, pretty much. killed them in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Woof. And 90s. Yeah. Woo. Punk was quickly turning to post-punk, which was morphing into new wave. Creativity was flowing from all sorts of new artists who were inspired by not only the singers of old, but more recent acts who were beginning to show everyone that, hey, anyone can be a musician with enough passion behind them. Sure. The days of being classically trained were fading, and in its place, you were seeing kids crawling out of basements and garages to show off their stuff at underground clubs. Hey, if you can push a button with a finger, you're a keyboardist. Congratulations. You fucking did it. You're a certified musician. If you can find that sweet setting on the Casio keyboard. Yep. You did it. Good for you. You pulled it off. I was a 10-year-old musician, believe it or not. Same. Yeah, weren't we all with our Casio keyboards in our bedrooms? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Places like New York City, Nashville, and L.A. were, of course, breeding grounds for this. But there were a few overlooked gems in the mix as well. Okay. Take Atlanta, Georgia, for instance. If you listen to our REM episode, you know they hailed from that area with a strong college radio following to bring them nationwide notoriety. And they were not the only ones. Here we also have the B-52s, one of the strangest acts to grace the radio waves. These weirdos stood out like a sore thumb, showcasing their unabashedly gay thrift store aesthetic in a sea of leather and drug abuse. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty much all punk was. Leather and drug abuse. Yeah. Almost singing songs that on first look seem like total camp, until you dig deeper to find thoughtful lyrics written over innovative arrangements. I claim this band gets overlooked in the shuffle or passed off as some kind of joke, but I think that's also pretty reductive. The band would go on to inspire everyone from John Lennon to Nirvana to Madonna and beyond. Pretty sure they probably inspired John Waters too. Oh, yeah. The gossip they inspired. Um, Fuck yeah, there's a lot of bands that like... You can see, like, the exact correlations. I actually found this website. I should post it on one of our social meds where they took their entire debut album and showed, like, what inspired each song and then what song was inspired by that song. Yeah. It's actually really cool little But I like, I feel like he could have just inserted them into any movie he oh, did. Easily. Like, as disturbing as Pink Flamingos was, I feel like the whole aesthetic completely correlates with the B-52s. Yeah. I mean, again, I've never seen it. I don't think I've seen I don't a think John you've, Waters which movie. Which is a fucking disgrace. I don't understand how I haven't forced you to watch any of them yet. You at least have to see Crybaby. Because as oh, insufferable... John Waters? Yeah. Oh. As insufferable as Johnny Depp is, back then he was actually pretty okay young a young johnny depp is good and ricky lake isn't it like come on ricky lake ricky ricky now when you think of the b-52s you immediately hear fred schneider's iconic vocals sing shouting at you (laughs) but despite that this story does not begin with him oh 
The spark for what would become the B-52s was Ricky Wilson, born on March 19th, 1953 in Athens, Georgia. I knew it was going to be one of the ones like in the background. Oh, yeah. Behind the giant beehive wigs. Because <laughs> all like if you don't know anything about B-52s, all you know are two giant beehive wigs. Yep. You might know one of them is Kate Pearson. Yeah. And you know Fred Schneider. And you know the one guy who talks like this. <laughs> that's That's like... Yeah, that's, that's most people's the, take on the B-52s. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> from early childhood, he had a passion for music and learned to play guitar from a PBS series called Learning Folk Guitar. Oh, PBS. Really pulling out all the stops. I know. But you know what? God love you, PBS. <laughs> I hope they played that in between uh, Bob Ross and you the know Joy they of played Painting. It. Yes, and then like some Bob Vila episodes. <laughs> and some This Old House. Like, oh my God. You can, hold on, kudos PBS, you can learn how to paint, you can learn how to play guitar, you can learn how to fix up your house all you in one You can learn afternoon. how to cook, and you can also learn how to be a stuffy English person, all in one day. You know what? Thank you, PBS. You can also learn to read. Also, donate to your local PBS station. <laughs> all right, we're going to go donate to PBS now. Bye, guys. Let's admit it, folk guitar is a gateway drug. <laughs> it's the marijuana it's the of the marijuana. music business yes it is 100 the marijuana of guitar where is nancy reagan oh my god Did the I ghost hear of you? nancy reagan she's you just hear like mm. oh god nancy's coming oh god she's coming turn off the lighthouse she can't know we're here oh lord she coming stop playing that folk guitar She's gonna, oh, Lord, Nancy coming. She is, and I'm terrified. She's going to put wallpaper <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> By the time he was in high school, he was jamming on electric guitars and worked his butt off one summer so he could buy a tape recorder because it's like the 60s, maybe 70s. Yeah, 60s. And he's like, I want a tape recorder. Those are expensive. <laughs> Just in his teens, Ricky was writing his own original songs and saving them to listen back and improve and just, he's like, I want to do music. He should have just gotten a stereo, a Casio stereo with the double tape bass. Yeah, that's more expensive than a tape recorder. I guess back then. Back then. It was. Yeah. In 1995, it was old technology. Everybody scoffed at my double deck tape player. Everyone was making the mixtapes and recording shit off the radio. Yeah, that's how we rolled, man. But he wasn't the only musically inclined one in the Wilson family. Four years after his birthday, he welcomed a little sister, Cindy Wilson, born on February 28th, 1957. And as she got older, she would join her brother in his song creations and experimentations. Please tell me they started Wilson Phillips. Yes. yes. No, they did not. Sorry. I will hold out for one Maybe more day. Ma- <laughs> I mean, someday somebody's going to make you want to turn around and say goodbye. But today goodbye. is not that day. <laughs> Thank you, Aragorn. Today yep. is not that day. Today is not that day. <laughs> Ricky would play and teach Cindy harmonies to sing along with him, which would be a skill that would definitely prove useful down the road. In high school, Ricky met a kindred spirit in another student named Keith Strickland. Born October 26, 1953, Keith was a bit of a young musician himself, and once the two realized how much they had in common, they became good friends. They spent much of their time working on music together, and even Cindy would join in, 
Eventually, Ricky and Keith tried their hands at forming bands to perform live here and there, but nothing really got off the ground, so they went to college to focus on getting degrees and being adults or something. Having a backup plan. Everybody's got to have that backup plan. While attending the University of Georgia, Keith happened upon a street festival with live music and dancing and all that fun stuff. He took to the party right away and began throwing pillow stuffing he found in the trash on other partygoers. Oh, sure. Yeah, I want trash stuffing yeah, all over me it's just trash while stuffing. I'm trying to dance in the street. Sure. Yep. That's my Taking dream. Taking it to the streets. That was him taking it to the streets. Stuffing above the streets. <laughs> and it was there and then that Keith became friends with Fred Schneider because he found this one group of people dancing real hard and he just tossed all the rest of the stuffing on them. I'm just imagining this as a very sweet, like, rom-com meet cute. It is. That is 100% a meet cute. Yeah. Fred and Keith was a meet cute. With just, like, all of this adorable, like, fluffy stuff falling in their hair. And they're like, hi. Yes. Hi. That was a meet cute. Hi, I'm Fred. Hi, I'm, hi, I'm Fred. <laughs> I was going to say, hold on. <laughs> hi, I'm Fred. <laughs> I'm, I'm Keith. Hi, Keith. I'm Fred. <laughs> he just keeps introducing himself over and over again. I'm very intoxicated. And Keith is just like, yeah, this, this is cool. This yeah. will cool. work, man. This will work. Cool. Do you like, want to like go get a drink or something? Yes. yes. <laughs> I like coffee. <laughs> I like tea. <laughs> I like everything. <laughs> I enjoy this scene. Yes. <laughs> Poor French Snyder. That's not at all what he talks like. <laughs> not at all. But I love it. He actually has a very lovely, soothing, <laughs> calm talking voice. I bet he does. He does. <laughs> oh. Fred was not native to Georgia like the others. He was born July 1st, 1951 in Newark, New Jersey. Oh, a Joysy boy. He's a Joysy boy. Oh. No, this makes sense with his musical speaking singing voice he has to shout to be heard he has to (laughs) it's just in his blood it really is well he was a quirky kid and by the time he was an adolescent he wanted out of jersey he's like nah doesn't everyone pretty much which sent him to attending the university of georgia but scholarly studies just weren't it for him so he ended up dropping out not before taking a creative writing course where he had the chance to explore his wordsmith skills by writing a book of poetry. A whole book? You wrote a whole book. Wow. I mean, I don't know how big the book was. And it's poetry, so like, is it really that big? Yeah. I remember taking creative writing classes in high school, and I had a very eccentric teacher who just loved my poetry and i'm like lady i am just copying bush lyrics so (laughs) calm your tits so really you just love bush's music i really did (laughs) i'm just trying to be kurt cobain here so like chill kurt cobain's nirvana and i'm still not doing it right (laughs) i can't be as good as lyrics in in utero so I appreciate that. I'm God smacking it, but I ain't hot dogging it here. Not yet. <laughs> Even though he dropped out, there was no desire to go back up to Jersey. So he stayed in the area, picking up random jobs and enjoying dance clubs at night. It was at one of these clubs that he, again, 
His sweet moves attracted the attention of another soon-to-be friend, Kate Pearson. Oh. It was easy for the two to connect after discovering they had more in common than dancing the night away. Kate was also born in New Jersey on April 27th, 1948. Joyzy Goyle. Joyzy Goyle, Jersey boy, Jersey Goyle. Makes sense. It makes sense. This all makes sense. <laughs> she also felt the pull of a more open air space, and so she moved to Georgia with her then husband. Spoiler, the marriage did not last. I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say. Turns out when you get married in your early 20s, it might not last. Usually it doesn't quite work out. I mean, and that's fine. They bought a farm together so they could live off the land growing their own vegetables and owning some goats and a couple other animals, Kate loved thriving in a commune setting, but was still an artsy type who enjoyed music and the nightlife. The world being as small as it is, it wasn't too long after Fred and Kate started hanging out that they would meet Cindy at a Halloween party in 1976. Always comes down to that Halloween party. It's always that Halloween party, man. That one fucking wacky night. Southern Halloween parties must be fucking lit. I imagine. There's nothing else going on. Seriously. A Southern house party. That's when you get your weird on. Yeah, you're weird. You gotta be a proper Southern person during the day. Uh, 364 days a year. Right. But on Halloween, go all out. You get to be a freak in the sheets, which just means you're dressed as a ghost and you're running around yeah. naked Well, I mean, underneath. I feel like usually they're a freak in the sheets. Probably. But now you get to be a freak in public. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, they just all happen to run in the same crowds. The young artists and eccentrics that could barely afford rent and just made fun happen in their own way. They're the drama kids table. They are, but like half of them weren't even drama kids. Still drama kids. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there's... There is a drama kid aesthetic, even if you aren't a drama kid. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I know that. Just a few days later, it just so happened that these five were hanging out together. They went out to dinner with a mutual friend, shared some drinks, and when they went back to his apartment, it was just filled with instruments. No. And they were like, you know what? Let's just start jamming. We're entertained. He that's did how that on just- purpose. <laughs> Actually, in the story, they say that the guy who owned the apartment and the instruments went to bed. And they were all just hanging out at his place. But he knew something. He He's knew. Like, I have all these instruments. I've just been this. waiting to befriend this group of people that is just has amazing talents. The Voltron of musicians. I know what will happen if I just leave them in this room to their own devices. <laughs> and I mean, it wasn't wrong. So, yeah, they just started jamming because, again, they're like, well, let's just entertain ourselves and pick up some instruments and start going. There were no parts assigned, no reasoning or goal behind it. Just picked up something and started playing it. This is like when we all started playing um, instruments at your old apartment and we came up with Crow Love. Yes. The song of the century. Yeah. Crow Love. It's about crows falling in love. Yeah. It's the best. Crows feel love. Yeah, man. I'm not a great lyricist. Also, our name is Titty Boat. Yeah. (laughs) Look out for our first single. Crow Love. (laughs) And sex- beside, besides Sex Toy Annie. Sex Toy Annie, yeah. that's it. Wait for it. It's dropping soon. <laughs> it's going to drop like it's hot. But yeah, I mean, and like somebody might not have even been familiar with whatever instrument they picked up, but somebody else would just help them figure it out. Like yeah. Kate picked up a bass and Ricky basically showed her how to play it. Okay. Yeah. So what's that like to just like have talent? 
Oh, I mean, like, you can, like I don't do think something it, with it. I think they were drunk. I don't think it sounded amazing. I think well, it was just they were comfortable with trying. When you're drunk, everything sounds great. Never mind. You're right. They were drunk. It sounded amazing. Yeah. But it probably didn't. Yeah. But they probably had fun. Yeah. Everything just clicked that night. The creative juices flowed and everyone vibed together. Keith and Ricky were actually so inspired that they would continue to get together themselves to work on more songs for the group to perform. That's nice. Which was a good thing, too, because Fred casually mentioned to one of his friends that he was in a band, and they asked him if the band could perform at an upcoming party they were hosting. Oh. <laughs> so he came back to the group and was like, so we have to learn some songs now. <laughs> so we have to be an actual band now. You know how I said, we weren't a band, we're a band. <laughs> so get your shit together. Let's just do it. Learn your fucking instrument. And there it was. A random night of jamming and Fred's big mouth created a band. Whether they liked it or not. Fortunately, they did in fact like it. Now they needed a name. Something to showcase their aesthetic. Now most people see the name B-52 and think of the plane. And they wouldn't be entirely off. Mm -hmm. But it is also used as a slang term for a type of beehive hairdo that looks similar to to the bomber. Or to the plane. To the bomber, yeah. Okay. I get it. I see it. So the hairstyle was actually the one that Cindy and Kate would rock throughout the first decade of the band's existence. Right. So that's kind of where it all clicked together. And they they certainly did rock it. Oh, they looked yeah, they did. Fantastic. They all just wore wigs all the time. Yeah. It was, they, had, they loved it. It was actually Keith who brought the name to the table after having a dream one night that they were performing, and someone in the audience said, that's the B-52s. <laughs> He's like, guys, that's our name. And they're like, all right. Okay, sure. Sounds great. I have heard weirder things. Yes, definitely. Weirder names, even. Yeah, like a name coming from a dream. That's kind of fun. It's fun. Also heard it before. So yeah, this isn't weird. Right? But a name coming from your butt. (laughs) That's weird. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, if they named themselves the Toots, that would have been (laughs) different. Now I want to start a band (laughs) called the Toots. That's the... um, titty boat side project because <laughs> titty boat's doing so much right now hey we're taking a break we can do side projects it's right. fine that's fair you're right we're on hiatus indefinitely <laughs> after our two songs that's all we ever needed <laughs> they began to practice regularly and get gigs around town they quickly developed a decent following especially since it was a college town full of weirdo art kids yeah, that helps. Mm-hmm. The crowds loved the upbeat songs the B-52s were performing. It was danceable, and it was something they never heard before. Mm-hmm. The B-52s didn't shy away from experimentation, and that could be due in part to the fact that they were starving artists. When Keith and Ricky got together to work on songs, Keith had a habit of leaving the guitar only half-tuned, or even worse, breaking a string. Because he didn't know how to play it. Well, he did, but they couldn't afford more strings. Oh, no. Yeah, so he'd break a string and they'd be like, well, we kind of fucked now. (laughs) And Ricky would be really pissed off about it. Like, dude, stop playing my guitars. You keep breaking my strings. Aw, just put some twine on there. It's fine. Well, so Keith would actually just encourage Ricky to play with what they had and just try alternate tuning for the guitars. Like, I don't know, figure it out. And begrudgingly, Ricky eventually complied, and soon he would realize what a blessing the broken strings really were. He found that keeping the broken string off, he could tune some of the strings to the same key to make it sound like he was playing two guitars at once. Huh. And it was through this that he created 
one of the catchiest and noticeable licks ever played on a guitar, the song that would become their first single. And Fred was working on lyrics, finding inspiration on seemingly mundane things and turning them into something that makes you look twice. Mm -hmm. One night, he was at a dance club that was showing a slideshow of randomized images, like puppies, barbecues, lobsters on a grill, etc. And this experience inspired him to write a song called Rock Lobster. We talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I don't remember which one. Which episode was that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. Nope. Guess what, guys? We drink and we forget things. I remember writing notes about it and now I can't fucking remember. Yo, add us if you remember. <laughs> oh my God, please. Please embarrass us like that. That would <laughs> make my fucking day. Make me feel like an old woman. It's fine. Together with the sweet riffs and verses about a wacky beach party, the B-52s put together one of their biggest hits. But before it would hit the airwaves, they were still working on building up a name for themselves in the music scene. Mm -hmm. With encouragement from other bands they were friends with, the B-52s decided to take some bigger chances and travel to places that might get them seen by a wider audience. They began to travel to New York City regularly so they could perform at Max's Kansas City and CBGB's. This makes sense. Uh Uh-huh. They were big on the CBGB scene. At first, they were basically paying to play, driving all the way to and back from Atlanta and New York City, and playing shows that paid very little. Woof. Yeah. Like, basically, they would drive out to New York City, do the gig, and drive back home. That is not a fun drive. No, that's not a fun drive. Guys, driving the entirety of the East Coast of the United States is the most, I don't know, um torturous horrific horrific thing (laughs) you could possibly do we learned a lesson that you know what break out the trip have a night where you stay somewhere else do half and half find some really weird kitschy stops to take a look and you know i mean honestly there's so much to see in america anyway and also like virginia is the hardest aside from ohio the hardest state to drive through. No, Ohio. Ohio was torturous. Yeah. However, I say that because Ohio was the most torturous state I've driven through recently. But as a kid, I would drive back and forth from New York to Florida. Ugh. And Virginia fucking blew All right. so hard. I believe it. Sorry, Virginians, but it fucking sucks to your drive through your state. probably fine. If I'm not driving through it in one shot. Oddly, Georgia always smelled really terrible, too. Like, (laughs) the entirety of Georgia smells like farts (laughs) along I-95. Georgia presents the toots. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's just the toots practicing. I don't know. (laughs) But, like, Georgia, I'm sorry. You smelled like farts. I'm sure you're lovely. Maybe you don't anymore. I don't know. Atlanta and Savannah and all that has gotten... More populous, so maybe it's just maybe like they, farts. Yeah, maybe they brought down the farts. Smell. Maybe there's less tootie people living in there. I don't or know. Or more. Maybe there's more. It's welcoming to the tootie people. Yeah. Anyway. They're just warning you about what you're about to get into when you <laughs> drive over the border and get into Florida. <laughs> They're like, it's going to get worse, honey. Don't <laughs> They're you just worry. like, but yo, have you been to Jacksonville? <laughs> you thought toots were bad. You thought this was bad. But they were making friends along the way, and soon they befriended a guy named Danny Beard, owner of a record store in Atlanta called Wax and Fax. 
wax and fax? Yeah. Did it? Did he also allow you to fax documents? No, no, facts pe- like fact checking. Oh, facts. so did he check? Did he fact check things? I'm maybe, so I, confused. Might, there's like books or something. I don't know. Did he just the record store. did you buy a record and he gave you random trivia facts? Yes. I, I'm so confused by this. Man, but that's a great idea and we should do that. Yeah. So let's open up that store. Records and trivia, that's what we do. That can be <laughs> yes. our tagline. There Records we go. and trivia, that's what we do. Perfect. Don't like it? Get the fuck out of here. They're like buying stuff and we're like, did you know that <laughs> the size of South Africa is blah, 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 blah. We're just the comic book guy from The Simpsons. But Worst it's a record, record ever. Danny really believed in the B-52s. They th- he thought they were onto something special, so he offered to help them release their first single by creating his own label, which he called DB Records. They decided to record Rock Lobster and had 52 girls as their B-side. Also a jam. Oh, okay. It's a B-side, 52 girls. Get it. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know if they meant to do that. I don't know either, but, but uh, it clever. Works good. good job, guys. Clever girl. <laughs> their music wasn't something you were really going to hear on the radio. Like, at least not the local radio station. Maybe yeah. college radio. But that was it. So the only way to get their name out there was to get the single out and sell it at shows, have it be passed around from friend to friend, word of mouth, you know, that old school way of doing shit in the 70s. Yeah. The way they don't do it anymore. Kids just listen to the Spotify's and the YouTube. No attention spans. They are kids. And their TikToks. And their tactics. <laughs> Rock Lobster became an instant hit for them and helped them to get more attention from critics who found the song to be infectious and memorable. There we go. There it is. Down the road, praise for this song would come from an unlikely place. John Lennon would later say the B-52s were one of his favorite bands and Rock Lobster inspired him to go back to writing music after a nearly five-year hiatus. Oh, well, good for John Lennon. I don't know. I kind of love this, though it did inspire him and Yoko to make Double Fantasy. I at this point, like I kind of feel like John about John Lennon, how Nadja feels about Jeff in John. what we do in the shadows. Yes. Like anytime somebody mentions John Lennon, all I can do is uh, 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 John. <laughs> like I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just don't care. But like, good for you, John. You're inspired by somebody who is, you know. Critically acclaimed, yeah. I guess. Well, and like actually, it is a funny circle of inspiration mm-hmm. because, really, Kate and Cindy would later say that they were inspired by Yoko Ono. If you listen to a lot of their songs, especially Rock Lobster, you'll hear them making different weird noises with their mouths. Yes. And, and that's, that's very Yoko. Very Yoko. And they actually said that was because of Yoko. That makes sense. I can 100% see them inspired by Yoko Ono. Right? I I don't she's really She's wacky art lady and they're yeah. like that she's wacky and I like it. I like this wacky art lady. Yeah. Like it's totally make weird noises like dolphins. I mean it t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It worked. It totally worked. Despite not being distributed by a major label, they did sell nearly 20,000 copies of wow. their single, which led them to bigger and more frequent gigs. 
And then the record companies came a knocking. Of course they did. They're like, oh, I hear you're um, you're pretty popular in the underground circuit. Maybe uh, I want to sign this record to you. I hear you made a lot of money off this record. You mind if I just um, take a little bit of it? <laughs> By a little, I mean a lot. <laughs> Gross. Not net. <laughs> Fucking record companies. The B-52s were scouted by many, but ultimately they ended up going with Warner Brothers in North America and Island Records in the UK. They would be signed by Chris Blackwell, founder of Island Records, who would help produce their debut album. Good for him. I know. He saw a good thing. He flew the band out to Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas to work on said album. Chris preferred to keep the band sounding closer to their unpolished live sound, so he avoided using too many effects or overdubbing the vocals. This really took the group aback, and initially they disliked the result because they thought, but you're a fancy pants producer with a fancy pants studio. Can you not make us sound fancy pants? Yeah. And if you do listen to the original record, yeah, it's it's kind of got this more like raw dog feel to it. <laughs> you brought us all the way here to the Bahamas. You're feeding us mangoes and coconuts. Oh, they are very, very fond of those memories. Yeah. Like their experience there. They're like, we went from like being these like kids driving around in a station wagon on the east coast of America. Farming our own carrots for dinner. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like Kate's cabin didn't have a fucking working toilet. They went to the bathroom in um, an outhouse. They shit in a hole. They did. Guys. But nothing We were beats, shitting in a hole. Nothing beats an interview <laughs> where they were talking about that. And Kate's like, yeah, the bees are the bees were stinging your ass. And bees. Then, and then Fred says, bees are just stinging your butt. And I'm like, God, I fucking love Fred Schneider. Not yeah, the, the bees. The bees would be stinging your butt. Not the bees. <laughs> I love it. They're so endearing. They are <laughs> just such made him sound endearing. like Bruce from Family Guy. The bees would be stinging your butt. That's what he sounds like. Bruce or the actual bee from Family oh, Guy. Wow. It's amazing how much Family Guy you can, we can relate this podcast to. It's like we grew up on it or something. Weird. Mm. But they would actually stand relatively alone in the camp of, I don't know about this sound. <laughs> in July 1979, their self-titled debut album was released to much critical praise. Oh, good. Yeah. Here they proved themselves to be the ultimate party band. Their kitschy atmosphere connected with listeners. Taking sci-fi nightmares and putting them through a pastel lens, as well as avant-garde sounds without taking themselves too seriously. Yeah, they were easily digestible avant-garde. Right, like they were avant-garde, but not in some pretentious bullshit way, in a, we're just really fucking weird and we're trying new things. That's kind of why I always equate them to John Waters, because they have the same aesthetic and also, it's like fun and campy and doesn't really take itself too seriously, but, but also still tries to make a point. Yeah, it's still smart. And so many people will dismiss the B-52s or John Waters being like, it's just weird and camp. And it's like, yes, but also, did you read the subtext? A, but there's a reason for it. Yeah. And like, then I feel like it's really telling of the people who don't look into it. I'm like, oh, you're not. Yeah. Oh, okay. You don't want to, you just don't like it. You don't want to do the Got work. It. Got it. The band had so many songs before signing a record contract that the thought of working on their sophomore effort wasn't daunting at all. In fact, they went to work in the studio less than a year after the debut's release. I assume this was also probably the time of 
when like it was yeah. six months between yep. albums pretty much pretty much i mean it wasn't six months but it wasn't a year yeah nine months yeah the pet benatar way was nine months they gestated babies between albums (laughs) they were just continuously pregnant in fact it was just kate and cindy constantly giving birth to records that's how they made the records this makes sense yeah once we get to love shack ha tin roof rusted yeah in august 1980 they released the album wild planet produced with rhett davies they felt this was more representative of the sound they were going for because he actually like produced it. it. <laughs> like he actually like <laughs> did work on it. I wouldn't say that like Chris didn't do work on it, but it just I I think Rhett did a little bit more of what they were looking for. Yes. Overall, the album was received positively, but some did say it lacked the excitement felt in their first record and actually blamed that on the production being too polished. Well, there you go. I don't know. You know what? I have But also been... like fuck the fuck the critics. Yeah. I have been saying there you go in response to everything for the last like four days, and I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> Literally had like of 20-minute conversation with my mother and my boyfriend were literally after everything they said, I said, well, there you go. Wait, I was going to say, is it because you just hung out with your mom? Maybe. Oh I don't God. know. <laughs> literally everything. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I don't know what's wrong with me. No, I love it. Keep it going. Make it stop. <laughs> Never. The record featured another B-52's classic, Private Idaho. Ah, the song came from the fact that they had never been to Idaho. Fun fact, they didn't perform in the state until 2011, apparently. Interesting. Right? When Fred was asked about the song's meaning, he promised it wasn't a parody or like, you know, making fun of the state. It had a lot. It had a lot of different elements to it. He thinks Idaho looks like a beautiful state, but it's also riddled with crazy right wing conservatives. Yeah. Which is kind of the opposite of the band's vibe. Um, does this have anything to do with the movie? No, the movie was actually based on the song. However, he never uses the song in the movie, but in the credits, it does say special thanks to the B-52s for their song Private Idaho. Interesting. Right? All right. Cool. Isn't that weird? Does it make sense? Yeah. Whatever. It's fine. I mean, I guess if he was inspired to write the story... Based sure. on this song? I've never seen it, so. I haven't either. I know it about it vaguely. It's a movie. It's River Phoenix and Aww. Keanu Reeves. Oh. Which is like a nice movie. Which is a relationship that I can totally ship. Yeah, I so. could I could OTP that for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. I feel like it's a very sad movie, though. Oh, maybe. Maybe I won't watch that. <laughs> The B-52s had the opportunity of a lifetime in 1980 when they performed on Saturday Night Live. Oh, boy. Many artists have explained the impact of that performance for them, how inspirational it was. There are so many current musicians who saw them on TV that night and they were like, holy shit. It's like a new generation's Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. It was. Actually, both Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl cited that performance as a huge inspiration for them to become musicians yeah that's the gen x gen xers version of Of the beatles Beatles on ed sullivan yeah and i'm sure like there were just but tons of musicians who were just like yeah i want to be that that's that's it 
Here they ha saw these weird kids with neo-vintage clothes and just a whole look, just playing these wacky songs, not trying to impress anyone, but just have fun. Just be themselves. Exactly. It made them realize you don't need to take yourself ultra seriously to have a successful group. Because before then, I mean, if you saw most people on stage, they're like very like taking themselves seriously or they have like very polished dance moves. Yeah. Nah. These were just a bunch of weirdos at the weirdo table at your lunch room. <laughs> they are the drama kids. They were the drama kids, but not as annoying as drama kids. <laughs> I really want to put that out there. They listen to more than just musical soundtracks. Look, there is a subgenre of weirdos in school where you don't fit into anything. It's very freaks and geeks. We're like, you're kind of a goth, but you're kind of a drama kid, but you're not popular in any sense of the word. And that's, just, that's but everyone that's still me. knows who you are. That's us. That's that's me. <laughs> There's a reason I like the B-52s. Yeah. And I think they're our aesthetic. Yeah. They're weird as fuck and you can't categorize them. And like, you want to say they're drama kids, but also like, they're not totally committed to the drama kid thing. They're going to yeah. do their own thing. Now that things are really heating up for the B-52s, the label execs were pushing them back into the studio to record more hits and make them more money. But the Yay. Yay, more money. money for us. Money, money please. please. That's what record execs. That's all they say. <laughs> They're Mona Lisa. Just Mona Lisa all over the fucking rec. place. But the problem was they they were a little tapped for creative ideas and weren't really keen on the idea of going back into the studio so soon. Their manager, Gary Kerfist, also managed a few other new wave bands at the time. One of the more notable was Talking Heads. Gary had this idea to mix the two powerhouse groups together. It may have been instigated when Ricky said he's kind of feeling trapped. He didn't want to keep making strictly dance music. And the band said they thought experimenting with more rock sounds might be just something to try. Okay. That's all they said. Okay. And Gary thought in order to produce, in order to just get the best of both worlds out here. And appease Ricky, appease everybody. He put David Byrne to work on producing the B-52's next album. Okay. David I, was I can a bit, see this happening. Right? right? Okay. It actually 100% fits. Um, David was a bit hesitant as he was working on his own project called The Catherine Wheel. And he was kind of like, I'm doing a lot right now. But ultimately, he agreed to produce with his friends. Because, yeah. I mean, they all came up in the CBG era together. They were all good friends. They're like, you know what? This will be fine. Okay. But the burnout came on all sides. Fierce and swift. Get it? Burnout. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the B-52s really didn't have any idea what to write next and wanted to spend more time brainstorming ideas instead of just sitting around the studio trying to make songs. Right. And David was overwhelmed as fuck with all the work he was doing in comparison to how little sleep he was getting. Oh, I feel like a sleep-deprived David Byrne is not a David Byrne you want to be around. No, like, I'm already hesitant to be around regular David Byrne. Yeah, exactly. Look, I'll listen to his music all day and all night, but I don't really want to hang out with I the don't, dude. No, I don't I ever want to meet him. I will appreciate the music that he puts out and say, that's good music, but I don't need to get a beer with you. I will appreciate you from quite afar. Yeah. I still get triggered when I think about David Byrne, the talking heads. 
Because I didn't, like, suck the proverbial dick of David Byrne when we <laughs> talked about him in our Talking Heads episode. Yeah, God forbid we Gen don't... Gen Xers don't like to hear that. God forbid we don't fucking jangle his balls enough. Yeah. He's a good musician. That's all he needs to know. Anyway, he doesn't even care. The team got a few songs down before deciding, this isn't it. And they went their separate ways. It was totally amicable. They were just like, yeah, we can't for fucking them. do this. So Gary went into salvage mode, wanting to still release something from the iconic collaboration. Hey, Gary, how about you just fucking sit down and let him just chill out? <laughs> I need to get these records out. You don't need to do shit, Gary. Money, please. <laughs> like, I get it, but like, sit the fuck down. Take several seats. Maybe have a nap because it's not going to happen. And so the band agreed that there was enough material to release a quick EP they called Mesopotamia. The David Byrne inspiration is easy to hear. More horns, a denser sound, throw in some world beats, mm -hmm. real David Byrne-y. Yeah. Overall, critics weren't huge fans of the result. Like, they didn't hate it, but they weren't really over the moon for yeah, it. Yeah, because it was totally forced. Yeah, and it's... That's that. It was forced. They want to hear the classic B-52s. Right. And actually, the label botched the initial release by <laughs> accidentally using did. rough cuts for two of the tracks instead of the finished cuts. They found the mistake pretty quickly and remedied it, but I'm willing to bet the people who did get the record with the rough cuts, that shit probably goes for pretty Quite penny. a bit. Yeah. Oh, I bet. And actually, it was funny, because at first I'm like, I wasn't super impressed with Mesopotamia, but I've listened to it a couple more times, like, no, actually, it's ain't bad. Kind of like it. It's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. It works. It's totally. It's like it's one hundred percent what you think t mixing Talking Heads with B fifty twos would yeah. sound like. It's I'm really sure good. It probably could be better. Yeah, I mean, I think if both sides were more like inspired, yeah, yeah, but it still is really good. I liked it. It was fun. Hmm. There were some songs that they had worked on with David that never came to fruition. In 82, they went back to Compass Studios so they could flesh out those songs better and see if they could get some creative juices flowing. Mm -hmm. They were ready to try now. They mm -hmm. didn't want to be forced. In working on their next album, the band came up with some key changes. Keith and Ricky took over as sole instrumentalists, giving Fred, Kate, and Cindy responsibility for lyrics, and it also gave them the opportunity to work more on choreography for live performances. That's fun. Yeah, they were like, let's shake it up, we'll do a little different, it'll be great. This is also the time of musical machines rising to stardom. Mm. So Keith used more drum machines and both he and Ricky took to a strong liking of synthesizers. These additions definitely gave the B-52s more of a pop sound, but it didn't take away from their quirkiness by any means. Right. We saw I imagine, if anything, it, it helped this is bring one the of, quirk out. Yes, this is one of the few instances I'm going to say bringing in drums machines and synthesizers works in their favor yeah yeah easily we saw the resulting fruits of their labors in 1983 with the release of the album whammy sorry <laughs> with an h on on the beginning whammy <laughs> whammy whammy well received by critics as more classic b-52s that audiences have grown to know and love and like i said unlike other bands that have gone down this avenue the synths totally helped, and it really got yeah people more into them. This was no Hot Space by Queen. You know what? I, I, I liked Hot Space. <laughs> Action this day. Action, but this day. But this day. Yes, this day. 
Even though they were seeing a growing fan base and positive reviews, it could be argued that they weren't seeing the same heights of fame that their counterparts were, like Blondie, Talking Heads, R.E.M. Right. Perhaps that's just because it was the 80s and there are two types of people. Those who were just here to be serious with political agendas or those who were going full hedonist and cocaine. Mm-hmm. The B-52s were truly unique with their campy dance songs about butterbeans and the moon. <laughs> they were just kind of... They legit have a song m- about butterbeans. They were, they were just floating in the middle on their own planet. And I'm not going to lie. The song about butterbeans <laughs> is a jam. <laughs> Butterbean jam. If you're going to write an entire song about butterbeans, it better be a fucking jam. It is. And it's about time I address their unabashed gayness. Mm-hmm. We finally hit that part of the episode. At a time when frontmen exuded their misogyny and hair metal, and women were mm. hypersexualized objects that they deserved, here a group where four out of the five members were gay. Yeah. Their image isn't based on their sexuality, though. They're just trying to be themselves, and being gay is a part of who they are. Wait, which ones were gay? Uh, Ricky, Keith, Fred... And Kate's bi. Okay. Because Kate was married to a man, now she's married to a woman. I believe Cindy is the straight one. Oh, okay. The straight one. (laughs) The outcast. It's okay I'm saying as a straight woman, so no shade. (laughs) They're saying it's okay to be different by just living your truth. So even though now you look at them and think, yeah, this is a queer band. Back in the 80s, everyone just saw their shtick and took it at face value. They weren't even asked about their orientation until the 90s. That's crazy. Right? Nobody, nobody, but nobody at the just same time, gave a like, fuck. I don't know if it's that nobody gave a fuck. I think they just were too afraid to say it. I think it's a mixture of, like, you don't ask that question. Like you said, right. like, there's a fear about asking someone that question. But also, I think there was just a, people just looked at them and said, they're just quirky. Yeah. Everyone subliminally knew that quirky meant gay well i mean they were like oh they're queer but like in the weird way like oh they're yeah. just queer but they're quirky but they're they're, we- they're they're gay yeah but it's also like such a lovely aesthetic that i fucking love and like drew so many outcasts to them whether or not they were gay a lot of the gay community really touts them as an inspiration for them yeah in, you know like this subtle almost um was that subliminal it's okay to be gay. Don't fucking worry about it. You'll we'll deal with this later. Um, and anybody who is like, I don't really care that they're gay. Their music's a jam. You know, like it just it wasn't an agenda. It was just an acceptance. Yeah, they were one of the few bands or a few people or whatever that at that time frame nobody ever really questioned it right because they love them so much right that's it so as long as you don't ever ask then you don't ever have to face it right and you can you can love them you know from afar and be okay with whoever they decide to be right i mean it's the same with all dance music yeah there's there's a gay element to it right because apparently gay people are the only people allowed to just let loose and have fun according to straight people yeah. Many have claimed that the B-52's sexual fluidity and messages of loving and accepting who you are were life-changing. There was a certain crowd that heard their music in the 80s and got it. 
And those who didn't, but still enjoyed their music, well, there ain't nothing wrong with that either. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> they spent some time touring for the album, but ended up taking a break in 84 so Fred could work on a side project called Fred Schneider and the Shake Society. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Fred Schneider and the Shake Society. <laughs> That's a good name. It is. Also during the break, the band decided to live together in a house in upstate New York to work on music together. Unfortunately, they discovered that living together was actually counterproductive. Yeah, you don't do that. No, you don't do that. Well, well, where in upstate New York? I don't remember. It's downstate upstate. It's the part of upstate (laughs) where I'm like... But upstate "Mm, downstate? Is it upstate? Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone in uh, Potsdam is like... None of you are upstate. You're the North Country. Shut up, Potsdam. So they decided to write separately and came back to record in the summer of 1985. Like most bands, the B-52s reached that burnout sweet spot. Mm. They weren't talking directly with each other as much, kind of going with the like in between the manager more, and that actually led to some tensions. Only a few tracks were written by the entire band together, so the other half of the album were created by members on their own or in smaller groups. Like Fred had his own song. Kate had her own song. Yeah. This is what happens when you try to live with your best friend. Don't do it. Don't live with your best friend because they will not be your friend. Unless period. your house is two different houses. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only time that can work. Yeah. That's the only time. That's the only reason me and Mike are still working. Yeah. Right. Because like, we basically have our own houses in one house. Yeah. It's. Kind of perfect. If you want to live in a duplex? Oh, yeah. There you go. Perfect. That's how you do it. Don't live in the same fucking house. I mean, it works for some people. Sure. (laughs) But not for, like, BFFs that, like, only have their own bedroom. Yeah. Shit's going to go down eventually. Yeah. That kitchen nightmare, woof. Yeah. Kitchen never works out. And if you have pets, forget it. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to be mad at the pet. Like, your pet did this. Like, don't you bring fluffy kins into this. <laughs> Mittens didn't do anything. Mittens is a saint. <sighs> but there was a much darker cloud hanging over the band than that. The mid-80s were a tumultuous time for America. We were seeing a deadly virus spreading at high rates and a president that refused to acknowledge its existence. Mm. Mm. 80s or 2020? Mm, mm. Let's go to the virus in the 80s with the president that ignored it going on. I'm going to guess you're talking about Reagan and AIDS. Yeah, the circle yeah. gets the square. Yeah. Unbeknownst to the rest of the band, Ricky had been getting very sick and was eventually diagnosed oh, no, with AIDS. Ricky! Yeah. Everyone noticed he was getting thin and frail. And perhaps there was some level of willful denial, but he refused to let his illness worry anyone. So he worked hard on the next album and let that distract him from what was happening to his body. He did eventually confide in his best friend Keith that he had contracted the deadly virus. No one else had any idea until the end. Wow. They finished recording the album, brought it back to the label who said, yeah, but I don't hear a single. So can you try that again? Mm, yeah, but can mm, I money, shove this record up your asshole? So they went back to jamming for that special song. But by October, Ricky had become so sick, he couldn't do much of anything and ended up in the hospital with lymphatic cancer. Wow. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, it, like the AIDS basically 
caused him to get cancer. That sucks. I know. It was time everyone learned the truth as he had fallen into a coma and passed away on October 12th, 1985. That's awful. Cindy said she didn't even know about her brother's illness until he was in a coma. Wow. So she and her parents were by his side at the end, along with Keith. Holy shit. Fred and Kate were not able to make it, so no one in the band besides Keith got a chance to say goodbye. That's how quickly he declined. Wow. Yeah. None of them knew until they couldn't say That's anything to him. That's a crazy secret to keep. How did either one of them keep it? I could picture Keith being like, all right, Ricky like, really needs me to keep this. And I suppose back then, you didn't talk about AIDS. True. It was probably easy to keep that secret in the sense so that you couldn't talk about it. Bonkers to me that like such a pervasive and newsworthy virus is something you didn't tell people you had. I mean, honestly, because on it, it was it like had a taboo a big thing. thing to, it was a taboo thing. You didn't talk about being gay. You certainly didn't talk about getting the quote unquote gay virus. Yeah, and. You know, you had an administration that 100% wouldn't, it wasn't even like bipartisan, or it was bipartisan in that Democrats and Republicans did not talk about it. Yeah. And I did listen to the dollop episodes about Reagan. Wow, did these motherfuckers say some shitty things about gay people dying of AIDS. Yeah. So yeah, it was a hateful virus too. Yeah. On top of that. So there's probably an aspect of ease in keeping that secret because you don't want anything bad to happen to your friend who's dying of it already like just let him die in peace yeah isn't the fucking irony of it all that like it was such a huge topic in the 80s and even the 90s yeah um but you also if you had it you didn't want to talk about it or weren't supposed to talk about it like how how can we even attempt to help people with something like this if it is such a fucking taboo thing i know it's to have it, let alone live the kind of lifestyle where you are more susceptible to it. Yep. And nobody really understood how to catch it, how to contract it. They just, it was like a, oh, it's a gay thing. But how and why? Nobody understood yeah. the science. But guess what? So we what? couldn't educate people. Guess what? what? The 80s are the worst. <laughs> At least when Reagan was around. Shh, don't say that too Reagan, loud. Reagan, Reagan. Reagan mm. fucked everything up. <laughs> Nancy's coming. Nancy's coming, She's to, coming yell to yell at us. <laughs> you talking about my Ronnie? Don't you badmouth my husband? Didn't he? He called her mother. That was Pence, wasn't it? It's also Pence, but I believe Reagan called her either did mommy he really? or mother. Mommy? Yeah. Oh, he called her mommy. He did. No, nope. that's it. That's canon now. He called her no, mommy. No, I think he did. Gross. Yeah. Don't ever call your significant other mommy or daddy. That's disgusting. Anyway, let's get away from the Reagans. So gross. Ricky's passing shook the band to their core. They did not know how to cope with his loss or where to go from there. They lost the heart and soul of the music and basically the core reason the B-52s even happened. Yeah. Cindy fell into a deep depression understandably Mm -hmm. she didn't understand why her brother wouldn't confide in her right keith moved to woodstock new york to just be alone and do his own thing kate and fred stayed in new york city but they were all in agreement 
they didn't feel they could go on without Ricky. So let's just go our separate ways for now. Mm -hmm. The album was finished by producers in the studio and released nearly a year later in September 1986. They called it Bouncing Off Satellites. Label didn't do much to promote it or produce a proper single for it. So overall, it's seen as a failure for the band. But it's a decent album. Mm -hmm. I listen through it. It's good. It's really annoying when... um just because record companies refuse to promote or do any sort of advertising mm-hmm. for an album, then it's considered a failure. You know, but that's such bullshit. That's why nowadays having something like Spotify is kind of nice because if you already follow an artist, they're going to like show you like, hey, this person has a new song out. Right. And you can get into it. And also we're getting to a point where albums are just not needed anymore. Oh, especially this year. Yeah. So many singles. Which is fine. During the next two years, Keith continued to work on composition, and it eventually inspired him to get the band back together to see how they'd feel about working on some new material. We're getting the band back together. Exactly. We're getting the band back together! (laughs) Everyone was actually down for it and found it to be therapeutic to work on something since the loss of Ricky. Yep. They spent a lot of time writing and jamming in upstate New York, where, surrounded by nature, they felt the creative juices flowed much more freely. It's really just Westchester. They were just in Westchester. They were in the Catskills. Actually, if they were in Woodstock, then, yeah, they, they, were, Woodstock. then they were in Ulster County. Oh, yeah. Ish. Still nice. Ulster's nice. Ulster's fine. It's fine. I went to college in Ulster County. It's That's cool. fine. They split recording between upstate New York with Don Was and New York City with Nile Rodgers. Nile Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite Nile Rodgers story. Uh, that's a fucking classic Nile Rodgers story. <laughs> Listen to our Grace Jones episode for more on that. Oh, so good. Nile was instrumental in helping the B-52s write a more mature and commercially appealing sound to come back with. Mm-hmm. Duh. In July 1989, not even three full years since their latest album, they released Cosmic Thing. This would serve as an unarguable comeback album for a great band that just suffered a great loss. Mm -hmm. Cosmic Thing would come to be celebrated for great singles like The Deadbeat Club, Rome, and the quintessential Love Shack Baby! (laughs) Certainly, Love Shack is their biggest hit known worldwide it's based off the cabin that kate lived in back in athens Mm -hmm. the place where the band originally worked on rock lobster the song that started it all it had a tin roof and was located off an atlanta highway yeah so there you go (laughs) (laughs) fucking kill me (laughs) nope and the line tin roof rusted i'm sorry Tin roof. Rusted. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Sorry I stole your thunder there. No, no, I'm glad you did it instead of me. I'm too busy being Fred Schneider. That is true. Somebody's got to be Kate here. Y'all what? Actually. (laughs) Tin roof rusted came from a simple outtake when Cindy shouted it during a record jam session. There you go. So There you go. God damn it. But it was actually Cindy who shouted it, not Kate. Oh. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) For anyone who thought the B-52s were dried up, this album proved them wrong. 
Cosmic Thing has gone four times platinum in the U.S. and landed the band a cover story on Rolling Stone and four MTV Music Video Award nominations. And now they were a household name. It's a really fun video, too. Isn't RuPaul in it? RuPaul is in it. You know it from our RuPaul episode. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Fucking son of a bitch. I cannot stop saying it. I don't know what's wrong with me. This is amazing. They went on a worldwide tour, which turned them from a small, like, venue theater kind of band into performing in arenas and stadiums. Basically, they went from the palace to SPAC. Yeah. (laughs) Only upstate New York people are going to get that. Shout out to us. Despite all this success, Cindy was feeling that perhaps she had her fill of being in a famous band. So in 1990, she amicably left the B-52 so she could focus on starting a family. Really? Yeah. Oh. So she left. Okay. She's like, all right, I gotta have a kid, gonna do family shit, it's cool, bye. And they replaced her on tour with Julie Cruz, who would be well known for doing a lot of work with David Lynch on his soundtracks, including the Twin Peaks theme. Interesting. I did not know there were lyrics to the Twin Peaks Neither theme until I. I looked it up. There are lyrics to the Twin Peaks theme. Okay. Sung Actually, by Julie. did I know that? Yeah. Maybe I did. I might have. We drink a lot and we don't remember things. Yeah, exactly. This didn't stop her former bandmates, though. In 1992, the remaining trio released their sixth studio album, Good Stuff. Still riding high, the album peaked at number 16 on the Billboard 200 and was nominated for a Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album. It's fine. I mean, it's not like the most amazing album, but it's, it's pretty good. It's got some, like, kind of uh, new worldy music sounds to it, which okay do manage to fit in pretty good with the B-52s. Yeah. But also not exactly like MTV worthy, maybe. Yeah. Good stuff's a good song though. I like that song. It's no Rome. I like Rome. Rome is a great a song. Lot. Them harmonies. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Also the video with just like floating heads. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> From there, time continued on. The B fifty twos may not have been putting out their new albums. But they did do a lot of tours with similar artists like the Go-Go's, Cher, Tina Weymouth, and Chris Franz from the Talking Heads Mm -hmm. and Tom Tom Club, Yoko Ono, and on and on. They were doing music for shows and movies, too, like the live-action Flintstones movie, apparently. (laughs) Uh, What? Yeah, I guess they did the Flintstones Sure, I guess. Did not know that. Uh, They did The Simpsons. They made a... A cover of Love Shack with glove slap because Homer was walking around slapping everyone with a glove. Sure, this makes sense. Uh, the Pokemon movie, they wrote a song for that. They literally wrote a brand new song for the Pokemon movie. I guess so. But my favorite has to be Rocco's Modern yes! Life. Rocco's, Rocco's Modern, Modern Life. Life. Oh, so oh, good. That is iconic. That is like that's what you should know the B fucking 52 Seriously, for. and if you don't fucking watch Rocco's Modern oh, Life. So good. In 95, Cindy came back to the band after taking some time for herself and enjoyed celebrating more live events and milestones with the band. Years passed, more than a decade really. The band was starting to feel like a legacy band, doing performances of old music, and they were beginning to crave something new. Mm-hmm. So Keith worked on worked on instrumental parts and brought it to Kate, Fred, and Cindy, who worked on lyrics. They began jamming in Atlanta like they did back in the day, and slowly they began to put together a collection of new material that would be released in 2008 called Funplex. 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 It sounds like 
an arcade slash bowling alley. It is. I mean, probably. <laughs> Actually, I'll get into why it's called Funplex. Okay. I also almost got a beer called Fun for Funplex, but it was looked like the most basic bitch of IPAs. I'm like, nope. I saw that don't one. Don't give a fuck. I saw that one, and I was like, that would be probably beneficial for some um, episode down the line. I should get that. And then I saw that it was like basic bitch IPA. I'm like, no. no. We're we better don't than need that. that. We don't. It was received favorably. While it wasn't going to break any records for the band, it was still the second best-selling album after Cosmic Thing. Pe- oh. Yeah. Peaking at number 11 on the Billboard 200. Shit. I mean, honestly, I didn't even know they put out an album in 2008. I mean, but like how often, how much were you really paying attention to music in I was paying so much attention to indie rock at yeah. that point. Death Cab for Cutie and like Rilo Kylie were my jams. Sure. So. Good. Yeah. I, I wasn't really paying too much attention to music. Like Nine Inch Nails, that was it. All right, a little local flavor, a little more local flavor, because we haven't spiced it up enough in this episode. I'm going to add about the title track, Funplex. So the song is written about the consumption of mall culture. So you weren't far off with Bowling Alley and Arcade. It's about like... Well, that's what malls are now. Pretty much for however long they're going to last. You don't really do any shopping at malls anymore. It's like Dave and Buster's and... Uh, uh, the, The breakout rooms... Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. What are those? Release rooms? That's not it. No? Relief rooms? Really? No, that's not it. Wow, why can't I remember what that's called? Maybe it is relief rooms. That's I don't know. Relief room. <laughs> Puzzle rooms? I don't know. Fucking hate yourself rooms? Yeah, I think there's a fucking hate yourself room. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Yes, so it's all about the consumption of mall culture. All that jazz. Which is kind of funny because that's like when the death of malls were starting. Started. Yeah. I'd yeah. say like 2010 it was really yeah. winding down. Anyway. But this song has a reference to infamous Albany spot Crossgates Mall. No shit. Yes shit. <laughs> One line goes, private property, hippie be quiet. Your peace sign t-shirt could cause a riot. That's not how he sings it, but I wanted to kind of be like Fred Schneider. This is a reference to an incident at the mall in 2003 when security kicked out a patron wearing a peace sign or give peace a chance shirt. Why? I don't know. I didn't even know that this happened. I was also in college at the time, so. Yeah, I had absolutely knew, no clue whatsoever of what was happening up here in the capital region of New York. That's fine. Nobody in 2003. Um, Some say that it probably had something to do with, like, because we were, you know, 2003 is still really soon after 9-11, yeah. and everyone's, like, on That's when everyone beefed Warhawk. up their security yeah. on malls. Everybody, like, was, like, war hawks, and it's like, if you want to give peace a chance or whatever, you're not supporting our troops and go fuck yourself kind of culture. How dare you be, like, <laughs> totally accepting of other cultures and God not vilify it. Middle Eastern people? Well... We're kicking you out of our mall. And the guy wasn't going to leave. And they're like, well, we're calling the police. They called the police on him. And then they had to, like, arrest him for not leaving the mall. That's kind of hilarious. Right? (laughs) And then later, hundreds gathered at Crossgates Mall with peace sign t-shirts to protest this bullshit. And so they went back on the touring circuit with new material. However, in 2012, Keith decided he was done with touring and now only works with the band on composing 
and they have session musicians make up for his absence on tour. I feel so, him on that. Right. He's like, I'll still be a member, but I just don't want to tour anymore. Yo. He, basically, Kate and Cindy and Fred said, that's fine. He deserves a break. He it's a fine. Break. Yeah. Like, they're all in their 60s now. Yeah. Kate's 72. Yeah. So, they're, they're older than my parents. They're older. And so. they're like, you know what? Good for fucking you if you want to break. Right. I actually did see them. I do have very fond memories with the B-52s because Beth and I went to see them with the Go-Go's oh, in New York City. I was going to say, they, them and the Go-Go's would be a really fun show. That was one of my favorite memories in New York City. Mm-hmm. We went to this place outside of Times Square and saw them perform. And like Then we fucked around in Times Square and it was two in the morning, so it was yeah. fun. Um, but yes, I did catch that uh, them in 2013 performing with the Go-Go's. That was a Fan fucking tastic show. Sounds like a show that I would want to get pretty drunk and just dance. You don't even have to. And it's great too because you're like one of the youngest people there. <laughs> so it was perfect. We're like, oh. Plenty of room for dancing. It really is. It was so much fun. It was a good time. If you can ever see the B 52s, highly suggest it. Mm. They're probably, too- they would probably be touring now, actually, if it weren't for the fact that, you know, COVID. COVID. But they have said they are working on a book of their career currently and are likely to keep busy during quarantine. And if anything, you can fill your B-52 void with some Archie comics. Because apparently the Archie comics had like a volume out with like Archie meets the B-52. That is adorable and perfect. I love it. I need to read that. I wonder if they'll have a guest star in that Riverdale show. <laughs> what? The Riverdale show is about Archie, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. I don't understand these CW shows. I don't get the kids these days. I don't get it. Where's the frog? I don't get it. It makes sense that a band like the B 52s has a lot of devoted followers. This is a band that gets underestimated as just party music or all style and no substance or Love Shack. Just they did Love Shack. They did Love Shack. Love Shack is like not even one of their best songs. No. It's fun, mm-hmm. but it's not one of their best songs. And it's a great video, but it's it really isn't one of their best songs. It's not. But all of this couldn't be farther from the truth. These musicians are technically sound. Ricky and Keith do not get enough credit for the unique songs they created through their experimentation. I'm sure most people don't even know what they look like. No, they probably don't. Honestly, I kind of don't know what they look like. They're cute. So. <laughs> like, Thank you. Honestly, if I was a gay man in the 70s and 80s, I'd be like, yeah, hit that. Yep. I mean, as a woman, I'd still hit that, but I'm just <laughs> saying I'd have a better chance as a gay man. Yes. It's worthwhile to look deeper in their discography and hear the lyrics that deal with treating the environment better, finding yourself in a world of naysayers. They actually have a lot of positive songs with really good deep lyrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, even their stuff on Funplex, like they're making fun of mall culture and how it's, you know, destroying your brain, basically. They're not wrong. Right. So they're very smart people who make astute observations about the world around them Mm -hmm. but nobody wants to listen to the lyrics they're just like love shack (laughs) and it's like sure or they're the gay band right (laughs) or they're the gay band right i feel like nobody ever even calls them the gay band they don't even get that notoriety (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) their music is the answer to angst boredom and cynicism make your own fun be yourself, and don't take life too seriously. 
there are a lot of people who said, you know, back in the day when the Smiths and the Cure were like the music that spoke to them, the B-52s were what spoke to me mm-hmm. in that I wasn't, I was bummed and bored because I'm in the South and I'm gay and I can't go anywhere or do anything about it. But the B-52s were like a lifeline. Mm-hmm. So it, there's different layers and different types of like just that teenage angst that they spoke to. They spoke to the fucking weird kids that you can't put in a category. Yeah. The B-52s show us that you can create music by being yourself and you don't need some fancy equipment or a degree from Berkeley. In fact, they encourage that more than anything else. They wear their queerness on their sleeve just by being who they are. They're a group of truly unique individuals that let us know being an outsider is something to be celebrated. And that's why they're an amazing band. That's nice. And that's the B-52s, motherfuckers. I get it now. They are the Janice and Damien of the Mean Girls. Yes. That's what they are. Like the uncategorized weirdos. Yep. That are really fun to hang out with, but also like, don't fuck with them. Yeah. Like, (laughs) don't fuck with, like, they're not here for your bullshit. Mm -hmm. But if you're here to party and have a good time and just be cool, everything's going to be fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't take yourself so fucking seriously. We can party all the time. Party all the time. <laughs> you know, Eddie Murphy might never have written that song if it weren't for the B-52s. <laughs> Honestly, Eddie Murphy wouldn't have been a musician if it weren't for the B-52s. I encourage and that. And that is a story I'm sticking with. You're welcome, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't you feel lucky? <laughs> Well, that's a nice story. Yeah, isn't that a nice story? Aside from Ricky. Yeah. That fucking blows. I do always wonder, like, if Ricky didn't die, what would have happened? I think they would have broken up for a time and gotten back together still. Mm -hmm. But I think they also would have all gone off to do... Like, I think Ricky would have done some really cool shit. So were they as unhappy with shiny happy people as R.E.M. was? So I don't think so. Like, it was only Kate who went into work on that with R.E.M. And, like, I don't think she disliked it. I feel like... That kind of song is very much her personality anyway. Yeah. So not entirely Michael Stipe's personality. (laughs) So we'll just say it was Cindy. I think Michael Stipe is that kind of guy who you think would be a surly asshole. But if you just kind of but if you just kind of hang out like low key with him and a couple other people, he's like that guy that you find out is actually secretly fucking hilarious. He's just quiet and low key. Yeah. I just have a hard time with quiet and low key at first. I'm like, do you hate me? You hate me. And they're like. (laughs) I'm just fucking quiet. Just trying to chill out. <laughs> I'm like, chill out? Yeah. But also sometimes I'm like, I just, you know, thank you. I just don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for asking. Please go. Yeah, I am quiet. I just don't want to talk to you. <laughs> just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just like, hey, let's all be friends. It's going to be great. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, God. This bitch. Meanwhile, I'm coming. All right, everybody. <laughs> let's have fun. And everyone else is like, oh, God, she's doing her Fred Schneider. God. You <laughs> love my Fred Schneider. Everyone loves my Fred Schneider. <laughs> the cats love that I've been making up songs about them in Fred Schneider's voice. I mean, how can you hate it? Exactly. It brings the kids so much joy. <laughs> the kids just love it. Kids love it. Well, there you have it. Thank you kids so much for listening. 
appreciate you and love you. If you're digging this, you can go to our website, rockcandypodcast.com. Check out more episodes. Get the links to our social meds, which is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're trying to get better about being on our social media. Trying. And we're not doing great, but we're trying. No. I mean, we can remind ourselves all we want to post on the social medias. And And guess what? We don't do it. Booze. (laughs) Yes. And if you're liking this too, you can go to our network, Pantheon Podcast Network, for more stories about music and fun times. And if you want to give us some of your money, that would be great. Money, please. We promise we won't do the same shit with it that record companies do. No. Uh, In fact, we just bought an insane amount of like new fancy equipment and I can't wait to get it. I wouldn't say it's fancy. It's just incredibly functional. (laughs) Far more functional than what we have now. (laughs) Damn. But she ain't wrong. It's just incredibly functional. And my we are, spit screen barely holds up in and, front of my mic. Seriously. And we are very thankful for that. So thank you, all of our patrons. You are so appreciated. Yes, you are blessed baby angels. And if you'd like to give us some of your money, if you don't already, you can do that at patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. And in return, you will get some sweet swag and a bonus episode every month. Yeah, we just put one out. So yeah. if you want to check it out. fucking buy our merch, guys. Yeah, it's the Christmas season. Our merch is cool. Like, our logo's neat. Even if, like, you give it to your grandma and she doesn't know yeah. what it is. I just ordered a pair of our leggings. Oh, yeah. And I am excited. We do, we'll, we'll start posting some more pictures of real humans modeling it. And maybe yeah. that'll entice you more. Yeah, and if you are a real human and you would like to model your swag... Just send us the pictures on any form of social media. And we will post them. Yeah. We we need proof that people have bought this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that's it for this week. Come on in next week for something a little different, a little spicy, a little different. Oh, it's going to be good. Yeah, it'll be fine. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. We're trying to end the year on like a nice, fun, happy attitude. Yes. Because it's been a year. And I think... Our next episode is going to be pretty positive. Yeah, and I think it'll be a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. Yes. Yay. Well, all right. Well, until then, kids, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Well, there you go. Try to get some sleep out there. (laughs)